Do you ever wonder what happened to your friends from high school? I mean, you were so close. You laughed together, you cried together, you shared some of the best years of your lives together. And yet, somehow through life, you just lost touch. Now it's time to relive those moments once again. Introducing the podcast that takes you back in time to the place where it all began. This is Class Reunion. We're bringing you all the gossip, secrets, and scandals from your high school days that you won't want to miss. Join us as we catch up with old classmates and dive into the wildest stories from our high school days. From those legendary parties to the infamous cliques, we're spilling all the tea on who's who and what really went down. So grab a seat, turn your volume up, and get ready for a trip down memory lane. Class Reunion, the podcast that reunites us all. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Class Reunion. We've had enough of single episodes, so let's get back to our guest list. It's a bird, it's a plane. It is my friend Bob Nadelberg, who's a pilot with a major airline joining us today. So welcome, Bob, how are you? I uh, couldn't be better. It's, uh, it's, it's great to see you again. Great to reconnect with so many people from high school. Hi, everybody, including those who I barely knew. <laughs> yes, but we watch where you are. You're like, where's Waldo? I, do, you, do you remember a woman named, named Cesar, Susan Siegel, actually? She's Susan Siegel Crotty now, she was a year older. But anyway, she travels for work all the time, and she reminds me of you. It took me a long time to book her because she was, oh, I'm in Lake Tahoe. Oh, I'm climbing the mountains. I'm doing all this stuff. So you have very similar schedules. So I'm glad we found time today. You are in Mexico. Si, si, senora. Uh-huh. Look at the hammock behind you. Very, very nice. Love it. So we talked beforehand, of course, and one of the things I found really interesting, we're going to talk about where your current state is, and then we'll go back to, to Groves, because I am fascinated that the classmates I've interviewed, jewelry maker, pottery maker, um, theater majors, police officers, you just feel like there's some kind of family lineage that, that everyone follows suit with. And that's not the, that has not been the case for anybody. And same for you. So Becoming a pilot wasn't something that you were exposed to as a kid, right? That you had anybody in your family as a pilot. So how did that come about? Well, I will tell you this. I was born in New York City. We lived in uh, the city until I was about seven and a half years old. When uh-huh. I was a little kid, when a little kid, we were uh, we were in the Bronx in a uh, high-rise apartment. And, okay. you know, for, for being a, a young boy, that was stimulation overload being yeah. in the city. You know, every 90 seconds, there would be something like a, a fire truck going by, a police car, the elevated trains, or, of course, the uh, a parade of aircraft going into LaGuardia Airport right over my apartment. Never so thought I, about I just, that, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely a stimulation overload, especially for a young boy. So I had pretty much decided my career by age three. I had narrowed it down to two things. I was either going to uh, drive one of the New York uh, elevated slash subway trains yeah. or become a uh, pilot. And I think my first flight, it may have been like four years old, we, w- we went from New York down to, uh, to uh, Florida to go visit some relatives. And I was just blown away. They took me up in the cockpit. And uh, just, uh, I-, I think we were either on Pan Am or Southern or Eastern, one of the airlines that doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that, that pretty much did it. But I didn't decide to make it a viable career until after my freshman year at Michigan State. I said, you know what? This is something I really want to do. I'm going to just go make this happen. 
And you're right. I, I didn't have anybody leading the way, which is very, very difficult. Yeah. Uh, but I ended up um, uh, going to Western Michigan University as a wonderful aviation program. And uh, and here I am. No, I love it. And you shared with me, there were a lot of questions I had because, you know, just to be on a major airline and also fly international is not an easy task. There's steps involved and everything else. So you just don't, like you said, there wasn't a network that you had or anybody that knew family members to kind of help you at least network with the people you need to. And you start out on smaller flights, right? To just get your hours in or or your reputation or how does that work? You just don't go directly to a major airline. That is correct. Um, the analogy I like to give, it's uh, either like becoming like a professional baseball player or becoming a doctor. Uh, typically in the case, if you're a baseball player, you know, you play, you, you play ball uh, when you're in school, uh, college, yeah. and then you go to the, the minor leagues and then you go to the major leagues. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, the big airlines out there are called major airlines. And most people, they'll, they'll fly for smaller uh, commercial operators just to gain the hours. Or, or in the case of being a doctor, you know, you, of course, you have to graduate from medical school and then uh, do your internships and residency and, and all that. But typically, uh, for my generation, for our generation, you needed about a good seven to 10 years of experience, thousands of flight hours before a major would even uh, call you for an interview. And, you know, back then in the day, uh, back in the day, basically, if you were going to be a professional pilot, you either wanted to work for Delta, United, American, or Northwest. They paid the best. Uh, they had the best routes. Um, by the time I got out of school, Eastern was gone. Pan Am was just about gone. TWA, same thing. Uh, they actually got merged into the existing airlines that, that exist today. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, uh, today it's easier. There's uh there's greater demand for pilots, so you don't need okay. as much experience, but you do need the experience. If typically uh, people will make maybe uh, fly the, for the smaller uh, regional airlines. Uh, in my case, I actually flew cargo. I flew cargo out of Detroit Willow Run Airport for a while. And the thing about Detroit Willow Run is there's two times in your career you work there on your way up. And if you do something wrong on your way down, <laughs> there, were, there were some characters there. It was like Pirates of the Caribbean. And it's still like that today, although That's probably funny. not as bad. That's yeah, funny. Pontiac, same deal. Yeah. And, uh, of course, the other path to getting there is, is to go to military route. You get some great experience doing that. Right, right, for sure. And and you say Northwest. I mean, it, we had that for years, right? Everybody from mm -hmm. Detroit knows that name. That's for sure. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, explaining the New York thing makes sense to me. I didn't have that part of the storyline, or maybe I didn't pick up on it. But, th yeah, that's like that is the mecca of travel and international travel. And you see people from all around the world. That must have been, you know, built your curiosity up, you know. Uh, for sure. Yeah. So let's talk. And for those of you who I know this can be streamed, but for those of you who are watching me, I have sunblock in my eye. <laughs> so I, I, Bob is not making me cry. Trust me. He's a very nice person. But if you see me with my eye dripping, it's just because stupid sunblock because I need it because I'm older and I'm in the sun. Well, the day's not over yet. I may end up making you cry. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you and I also talked about, there's two things I want to talk about. Celebrities, of course, but also we just talked about the unfortunate incident with Alaska airline with the interior coming out in the middle of the, the plane. Oops. Right. And so I now know what's all involved with that from you. You know, there's a whole evaluation and anybody who's watched the whole uh, movie with the flight, what was the uh, the guy in the river? Sully. Sully. Miracle God. on the Hudson. 
Yes, yes. I, I should remember his name. We watched that movie where they, you know, he was a hero in the media, but you have to go and get that whole interrogation done of what exactly happened. So it's not all a bed of roses when there's been an incident and a flight. So you've had a couple minor, but like, talk me through that political process, because it's got to be nerve wracking. And there's no plane that is is 100% without mechanical issues after it's been flown so many times. So how, how tell us about your feelings on that and that, that process. Well, first, let me just start by saying uh, the movie, I think the name of the, the title of the movie was Sully, if I'm not mistaken. That is the only aviation movie I've ever seen in my life that has been 100% spot on accurate. Oh. I was on the edge of my seat because I was like, no, that's real. That's exactly what would oh, happen. Oh, Nice. Yeah, most of the time when I watch an aviation theme movie, like uh, you know, it's it's just all BS. It's like, come on, that that, that it doesn't really yeah. go down like that. Yeah. But Sully, that was one hundred percent spot on. And not to plug the movie, I have no. But if you haven't seen it, go see it. No, it's it. fantastic, so. and 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 it did shed a huge light on what he went through afterward. Yep. And we're That's all still exactly. thinking he's the greatest guy in the world, which he was. But in the eyes of aviation, it was like, well, you're guilty till you prove us that you did everything right to get to these people and keep them safe. It was like such a polar opposite. The media was like, he saved everybody, which he absolutely did. But then in the world of aviation, it's like, prove it. Yeah. And, and that's and that was mainly driven by the FAA. They're, you know, by default, a regulatory You have to have agency. accountability. Yeah. Was yeah. it the plane? Was it the pilot? Was it, you have to know everything. You get a car accident. You just don't give out an insurance settlement until you've done your due diligence. It's the same sort of thing. Yeah, I have opinions on the FAA that I should probably keep to myself. But um, I, yeah. I look at the I look at the FAA the same way I look at the IRS. So let's just yeah. leave it at that. It's a government position. Yeah, there's some good people, hardworking people at the FAA, but there's also people who are not like that. But yeah. Uh, but when you shared with me, I, I won't get you in trouble with that. But when you shared with me the little bumps along the way in your career, one of the things that I looked at differently was you're, you know, how do I put this? You're the, you're the pilot who's taking care of all of your passengers. And so that's a huge responsibility. So from a passenger standpoint, we care who's behind the cockpit, right? In the cockpit. On the other hand, we don't reflect on your safety. And is the plane in proper condition? And it, what's how old is the plane? Like, we're just expecting you to get in that plane every time and take off and it's going to have the same results and wear and tear happens. And so I was like shocked thinking with some of the stories you told me, well, that was a shitty ass plane you were flying in the first place. You know what I mean? I don't think people yeah. realize the risk you take in getting behind a hunk of metal that's how many years old that you are hoping is maintained. I, I, I would love to have that perspective from you because I don't think people realize that every day you're getting behind it and you're, you know, you're hoping everyone's done their job and made it safe for you to fly. Yeah. And most of the stories I told you, those go back to my days pre-major airline when I was flying yeah. cargo. In other words, the pirate operation out of Willow Run. There's a couple of companies there that do that. And you're okay. basically, you know, you're flying old aircraft. Things are going to break. Stuff is going right. to happen, which is a good thing because that gives you experience. It makes you, for lack of a better word, battle hardened. And so by the time you do get to a major airline and then you are faced with a malfunction or an emergency, you're not going to freak out. You've seen things like that before. And that's why the major airlines hire experienced people. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, which I, 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 we, we talked before, I told you all these fun stories. Uh, which one do you want to hear about? <laughs> well, I, well, I like the one, not because I don't want to get you in trouble. The first one where, <laughs> where there wasn't any issue in the end result, you know, but that you had, you know, mechanical difficulty. And I don't want to go with the one, will you tell me which one you want to share? I don't want to pick one, but. Oh, there, there's so many, but yeah. Um, where I work, you know, if you go to any of the big name brand major airlines, you know, the maintenance is top notch, notch. The the pilots are all very experienced, very well trained. And yeah. you drill and you practice for this in the simulator. So nothing should really come as a as a surprise. And, you know, if something does happen, you know, I'm 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 101% confident I, I can handle it. Uh, and if you look at if you look at the safety record of major airlines, you know, like over the last two decades, it's it's oh. it's been it, well here in the U.S. I should say it's yes. it's been absolutely fantastic. This so. was a old landing gear, I think, from a flight that you it was you know. Oh the, oh yeah 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 that's yeah. Right. so this <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so so years ago, this is like in the early nineties. Uh, yeah. I was, yeah, I was flying an old cargo airplane, an old converted Beach 18, uh, which was something that was designed, you know, basically back in World War II. And we were coming in with a full load of cargo landing uh, in Norfolk, and we went to go put the landing gear down, and it wouldn't come down. Okay, you know, things break. All aircraft have an alternate method of extending the landing gear, which we ended up doing, and mm-hmm. we got all normal indications and unbeknownst to us, there was a bunch of mechanical linkages that were broken, uh, specifically in the uh, in the nose gear, which halfway through the landing roll, we found out when I heard this loud snap. And the next thing you know, the runway, which we were looking at down the horizon, starts coming up in the windshield as the airplane slowly nosing into the ground. The yeah. nose hits the ground. Both props strike the ground. And we grind to a halt in a spectacular shower of sparks. Meanwhile, I hear on the uh, air traffic control radio, Delta, go around. U.S. Air, go around. American, go around. Airport's closed. And the airplane slides to a stop right in front of the passenger terminal. Now, we're not a passenger airline. We're a cargo airplane. Could you imagine sitting in a terminal waiting for your flight? All of a oh. sudden, you see this airplane nose into the ground. Come here and stop the shower. And then all these fire trucks yeah. and and Norfolk's not that big of a city, so I'm sure when the uh, call went out on the emergency wire, every yeah. single cop car, fire truck, and ambulance, they were plane crash at the airport. They yeah. all descended. And there had to be, a, I swear, 100 vehicles on the field. It was showtime. We walked away from it. No big deal. You know, the aircraft are, are, are designed, especially the old World War II era stuff. They yeah. over-designed that because nobody knew back then how strong you needed to build an airplane. Those, those, those aircraft are built like tanks. Uh, yeah, so we uh, we walked we walked away from that. My uh, you know the buddy I was flying with, uh, you know, he became a major airline pilot. So did I. And it was a great story to tell in the interview because once yes. you asked when you interview as a pilot, they're going to go, "Have you ever had any emergencies? And how did you deal with it?" When they asked me that, I started laughing. I said, "You know, you're talking to a cargo pilot. Which emergency do you want to hear about?" They all started laughing. They said, "Tell us a good one." <laughs> So I started with that. <laughs> Hold my beer. Yeah. Let me tell you the stories. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, basically my interview was just, we're just telling war stories, having a great time. So. So how do you go from commercial to international? Because even as a flight attendant, that's a big jump too. So do you interview to go to international or how, how does that go? 
Oh no! What like so? If you go to a big airline like Delta, American United, uh, that yeah. has a huge international presence. Once you're hired, you're hired, and uh, they don't uh, really uh, designate whether or not you're going to fly domestic and international. Um, every really? we call those theaters of operation. Every theater of operation has its challenges. And I'll tell you, you know, if you're doing like five legs a day in and out of LaGuardia in bad weather, that's yeah. a lot more challenging. Then, yeah. you know, one easy leg from Detroit over to Paris, where you have a big, comfortable, wide body airplane with stock with lots of food and lots of coffee. And you only have to do one landing. And your only concern in the world is where am I going to go have dinner in Paris? There's 10,000 <laughs> phenomenal restaurants. And that's the way we like it. We don't want to worry about mechanical problems. My biggest concern when I go to work is where am I going to go eat in Paris? Right. So, and right. I have a lot of good recommendations if anybody wants one. Well, my gosh. I mean, if you watch his, if you look at his Facebook page, I'm not going to have everybody join to, to bother you, but I mean, you're all <laughs> over the map. I mean, it's, you just did a, a Japan, right? Didn't, didn't you go to Tokyo or where were you just oh. recently? You know, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, yeah, yeah, it looked phenomenal. So is there a place you haven't flown to that you want to fly? Yeah, a lot of people ask me, what countries have you been to? And I said, a better question is, where have I not been to? Right. Uh, as Correct. far as all ma major countries, pretty much been everywhere except for Australia, New Zealand, Korea, and China. Korea and China, I'll probably wind up flying within the next couple of months uh, because I just really? got my Pacific theater qualifications. Yeah. Yeah, so you'll okay. see me eating kimchi or, or God knows what in China. Hopefully, I won't get sick. Usually, when you go to a new country, it's not uncommon to get sick because you're not used to the bacteria in the food supply and the water supply. But um, but but you had asked about international versus domestic, um, and there's just different challenges that come with that. But one of the things you do have to get qualified for at your airline is transoceanic operations. Um, there's certain challenges that are going to come with that. There's also or or, or even other theaters like going down to South America, there's challenges associated with that, such as crossing the intertropical convergence zone near the equator where they can get some pretty crazy weather. Dealing with just, just you know, undeveloped parts of the world like, you know, yeah. the Amazon basin or pretty much the entire African continent. Uh, so, yeah, but the airlines will, will, will train you on that. As far as the flight attendants, they're, they're trained to do everything from the get-go. But... With any major airline, the international tends to be the more desirable type of work. So therefore, it goes senior. So you as a new hire at a big airline, you're rarely, if ever, going to see international. You're going to have to yeah. put in years and years and years before you can hold that. And, and, and they'll trade you up for it. Does that answer your question? I think I went no, off on a tangent. No, right? no, it's perfect because I do know people that do international, but it did take a long time and it is a seniority position. You just don't do yeah. it, you know? Okay, so we talked about flight attendants and yes, it's seniority to become international. But also, I thought this was interesting that you said it's not as difficult now to build those hours and, and be higher because pilots are short staff, but the flights have reduced so much. So is it because more people are retiring or getting out in the field? Like, I know it's not, it's after nine or not, well, nine eleven and COVID, it changed the whole landscape, especially COVID. I mean, is that part of it? Is that some people are just getting out of aviation as well? Because I know flights have cut in half and yet there's a shortage. Like, it's weird what you're saying. Yeah. So it, it's a couple of different factors, you know, to, to be still to become a pilot for a major airline, even any airline pilot, if, 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 if you're for flying like the small regional jets, yeah. you still have to have a minimum of 1500 flight hours before you can legally be hired. Okay. 
Uh, and that rule came out of the result of the 2009 Colgan air crash in Buffalo, where both the pilots were low time. They had both commuted in on red eye flights mm-hmm. the night before, so they were tired. Exhausted. And, 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 and frankly, the, the stand is that the regional airlines at the time, you know, basically, if you could fog a mirror, I probably shouldn't say things like that, but it's kind of true. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so no, things, things are much different right now. But be, because um, it was mandated that the standards be raised, it's it's a little bit more, you have to jump through more hoops to get into the profession. Whereas prior to the Colgan crash, you can walk right out of, you go to Western Michigan University, uh, <laughs> get, get all your pilot's licenses, and you have a mere 250 hours of flight time, and you could go jump right into a, a, a regional airline turboprop or jet. You can't do that anymore. Right. And that's a good right. thing. That's a yeah. good thing. So, you know, just yeah. basically doing, you know, working flying smaller aircraft. It's kind of like doing like a residency. Go, you know, you know what, when I got interviewed, one of the questions they asked is, why should we hire you? And, and yeah. the first thing out of my mouth was they go, well, cause I made my mistakes on somebody else's payroll. So, uh, <laughs> they, they love that answer. That's true, though. I learned to fly jets. I made all my mistakes on somebody you else's payroll. Been, you don't have to do you, that. You had to have been a hoot in the interview process. That's oh, uh, sure. it was. It, it was fun. I figured, you know, if you don't hire me, I'll just go somewhere else. So. Yeah. But, yeah and, you, and you got to love what you do. But, yeah, so, there's that. Um, uh, pilots are required by U.S. federal law to retire upon reaching their 61st birthday. Airline pilots, that is. Oh. If you're a corporate pilot, you can fly until you drop dead. Uh, okay. And in fact, a lot of a lot of major airline pilots who reached their 65th birthday. In fact, I have a good friend I was texting with this morning. It's his 65th tomorrow, and he's doing his last flight from Amsterdam back to Salt Lake City as we speak. And I'm sad Aww. to see him go, but on the other hand, hey, get out of my seat, old man, because he's senior to me. No, great guy. <laughs> but um, but there, but um, and then I have another neighbor who also hit his 61st birthday and decided that he would just go fly corporate jets for a few more years because he loves mm-hmm. what he does. He, mm-hmm. he doesn't need the money. Mm-hmm. His wife's mad at him because, hey, you were supposed to retire. Right. And now right, right, here you are right. getting a corporate jet. Show. But he's a Marine. The Marines can't sit still. So. No. Right. Very true. I told him I told him he was lousy at being retired. But so, so, there, so there's that. There's that. So it, it's there's more hoops to jump through to get into the industry. Once you are in, you don't have to fly for the small airlines as long as you used to. Uh, there's the mandatory retirement age. Another thing that happened, uh, how can I abbreviate this? But back back for our generation, if you wanted to be a pilot, mm-hmm. you would have to, you know, if you didn't go in the military route, if you went civilian, you typically have to, you know, work at a small airport, giving flight lessons, flying charters. And then you go to a regional airline. And, and back then, the regional airlines knew that you were just using them as a stepping stone, as like an internship. Yeah. So the pay was really, really lousy. Yeah. And then if you remember, like in the late, the mid to late 90s, the proliferation of regional jets. Well, those regional jets started taking over what was major mainline flying. So what was supposed to only be a residency ended up turning into over a decade. So a lot of people said, Hey, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend all the, I'm not going to spend over six figures learning how to fly and going to college to sit here making internship right. wages for a decade. So a right. lot of people left the profession and then a lot of flight schools went out of business. And to this day, there's not enough flight schools, hence also contributing to the pilot Ooh. shortage. Okay. Interesting. See, yeah, you're, full, so the, you're full of fun facts, Bob. I didn't know that either. I'm full of a lot of 
<laughs> just, just ask my friends with my wife. She'll tell you. <laughs> okay, so then I we talked about celebrity because I always am fascinated of like whether the pilot knows if certain people are on, and so you get notified typically from the flight attendants, correct? If you've got somebody worth mentioning yeah. or just want to holler out to or whatever. So you had Cheryl it Hines. Is, yeah, yes, yeah, very nice lady. No, it, it, it's not a policy to notify us that there's celebrities, but usually the flight attendants go gaga over any celebrities. Yeah. They're like, hey, what's going on? Oh, my yeah. God, Harry Potter's on the airplane. <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe. That's just, oh, you they did? went nuts yes, over Daniel yes. Radcliffe. Yeah. Oh, they went yeah. nuts over Keith Urban. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. Just uh, usually, usually you know about it, and but I, I treat everybody the same, and you know, time permitting, and I usually have time. I'll walk through the airplane and say hello to all the passengers. Uh, it's a nice. First of all, it's a nice thing to do as part of being a good human being. Um, yes. I enjoy interacting with, and, and, and you know, like it gives that personal touch, and and when yes. the passengers can see, hey, there's like a real life human being up there that they can actually relate to now. Those who are nervous about flying, that really helps a lot to alleviate their fears. Yeah, I don't get paid any extra to do that. I just do it because I enjoy doing it. Right. Uh, right. So. I was saying that on my bucket list is to like, be, if I'm in Detroit visiting, cause I know it's the major hub for some of your flights. It's like, yeah. I, I've got to get on one of your trips. You know, I want to go somewhere international, but it would be hilarious and so cool. And such an honor if you were the pilot, that would be really, really cool. So it would be an honor for me. Yeah. But by the I way, if, if, if I tell the flight attendants, one of my friends is on board, they're, uh, they're going to hurt you in a good way. Believe me, you will, you will be treated very well. <laughs> Don't let that lady leave the airplane thirsty. Wait, wait. <laughs> oh, God. Well, it might be an enjoyable flight. Um, okay, so you you do have a lovely wife, and I also love her story, too. So I want to give her some props because it's cool what she ended up doing as well. So you just real briefly, you are married. You met her and, and go through that, and, and her journey with fashion is very cool. Yeah, so um, there's only a hand. Let me start by saying there's only a handful of universities that offer an aviation curriculum. So if you want to become a pilot and you don't want to go into yeah. the military, or or in my case, if the military is just simply not taking people because of cutbacks, then you go to civilian routes. So you're going to want to go to an aviation college most of the time. So one of the reasons I chose Western, and this is going to sound silly, but keep in mind I was a teenage boy, was because they had a lot of pretty women down there. <laughs> and I thought, there's statistically speaking, there's a good chance you may meet your future spouse in college. So, hey, you might yeah. as well go where the good-looking people are. Um, yeah. You know, I got accepted to Purdue to go through their flight flight program as well. And Purdue's a great college, but it's almost a two-to-one guy-girl ratio. So I'm like, hey, you're only young once. The, the point being is that I did meet my wife my senior year in college. I was smitten right away. She's from Standish, Michigan, just north of Bay City. I'm sure all mm -hmm. you Michiganders know where that is. There's yep. a great McDonald's there and I think an A&W root there, if you, especially if you're going up 23 up, up to Alpine in that region. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically, small town Michigan girl, she was going to go into television production and that all fell apart when she interned at Detroit Channel 7 ABC and 
had to work for Bill. Remember Bill Bonds? Yes, that's where I also wanted yeah. to tell the story. Yeah. Yeah, oh, Bill God. Bonds would not survive today. He would be very, very no. me too. Yeah, I'm not sure he's long dead now. So uh, in any event, she decided everybody in the TV business, I don't care for them. Although that's not the word she used. She used more colorful language. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, she's, uh, she's working in the local shopping mall and she's good at retail. She was working at Ganta's. Remember that store? Yes, yes, yes. Very good at that. Natural born manager, great sense of fashion, great leader of people, great in sales, great in everything. She gets recruited by Nine West, who, and then uh, Liz Claiborne steals her away from Nine West, and then Neiman Marcus steals her from uh, Liz Claiborne. And so she's at the Detroit Somerset Mall. She's doing very well. Corporate takes notice. And they move us down to Dallas to put her in Neiman Marcus's executive development program, she, which is kind of like the, uh, the Harvard of uh, retail. She comes out of that and she ends up as a buyer. And first women's ready to wear, then gets promoted into precious jewelry. So next thing you know, my wife from a small town in northern Michigan mm-hmm. is getting jetted off to Paris and Zurich and Geneva Wined and dined in castles, just doing all this luxurious stuff. I love that story. (laughs) Yeah, she got to go to Europe before I ever got to go there. Like, hey, wait, you're going to Europe before me. So, I, yeah. I just jumped on uh, an airplane, rode over there for free so I could uh, mooch off her hotel room and everything. I went mountain biking in the Swiss Alps all day while she was working. And then we meet up for like an extravagant dinner. Paid for by her colleagues, by the way. So, uh, which made the food taste even better. So, uh, yeah, here, here we are. And then the funny thing is, Western Michigan had a um, actually a major for people who wanted to go into fashion and retail. She never even did that. She was communications and journalism. Yet here she is ending up as the precious jewelry buyer for Neiman yes. Marcus. I thought it was incredible. Yeah. I I used to help her go through resumes when she was hiring people. And we we never saw anybody from from Western's program. So I I don't even know if that's still a major or not. (laughs) Well, I love that she brought you to, you know, to the area. And then you now reside in um, Deer Valley, Valley, Utah, right? Yeah, Park Park City, Utah. Um, Park City. We're we're right next to uh, the Deer Valley Resort. We can look across the lake and uh, see what the snow conditions are and go there. But really what brought us out there is this is where we used to vacation. When my wife was working for Neiman's, uh, we had to move to Dallas, twist my arm. I really enjoyed living (laughs) in Dallas. We were there for 20 years, but Texas just gets brutally hot in the summer. If you've never experienced a Texas summer, ouch. And uh, Park City, Utah is where we used to go to hide from the heat. And then one day we were, we were mountain biking up at about 8,000 feet. We looked at each other. It's like, why are we not living here? Let's just yeah. make this happen. We're not getting yeah. any younger. Yeah. So, And there's, uh, there's two other Grovites that uh, live in Park City. Yes. Uh, should, yes. I me- should I mention them? Yeah, Jody so, North. Uh, yeah. yeah, Jody North. And I believe Jody North Amy Woods, Miller. I believe. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Y- yeah. I love it. And we get we get a lot of visitors too. Oh, for sure. I mean, you get the opposite of what I do. When they want to get too hot, they come to me. When they want to ski, but I have to tell a funny about you mentioned Bill Bonds, so you will have to share this with your wife. My sister worked at the bank at Channel Seven, and oh. Bill Bonds belonged to Oakland Hills, and he would always go there in the afternoon until it was time to do the news. Not a good combination. So everybody at Oakland Hills knew him and fed him his cocktails. 
And then there was a night <laughs> when he, I, I'm sure there's many stories, but this is one that I, I personally know. He was doing the news and someone was at doing the, at the screen for the weather. And he is at the desk throwing up and the vomit is scurrying down in front of the guy that was doing the weather report. And he did go off the air that night, but like that guy had more lives. Like you said, it would not be tolerated today. He got mm -hmm. away because he did have a knack for his interview style. He did, you know, but it was this chaotic atmosphere and nothing he would do today would have left him on the air as long as he was. I mean, he still retired a hero. And it was like, all I do is I think about that story when he was throwing up behind the desk. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. He's a yeah. character. Okay. So we, we are in a situation where we were enjoying life. We're married, no kids, and you've traveled the world. And I think that should be celebrated because we've talked about, you know, yeah. yeah, everyone has this. <laughs> we grew up in this era of like, you're supposed to do certain things. Now everybody, you know, kids can do whatever they want, but we were in that era of like, you're married at this age. You have kids at this age. This is where you live. And I love the fact that you two have explored the world together and made your own life and I'm still enjoying it. I see the wine and the dinners and, you know, all of the things you're exposed to is just incredible. And that doesn't always happen. And truthfully, when you are raising mm -hmm. a big family, it just doesn't happen. So I like that conscious decision that you both did. That's nice. Yeah. And, you know, you know um, Given what I do for a living, it's, this sounds cliche. It's not so much of a job. It's kind of a lifestyle. And, you know, yeah. most of the people I work with do have families and with all the travel and everything, that is a challenge, but there's also the benefits. You, you sometimes you get to take your family along if there's open right. seats in the flight. Yeah. That just, that, that just kind of worked for us. And when we were both 34 years old, I remember we were driving, we we're living in Dallas. We were driving home from Taos, New Mexico. It's about a 10 hour drive. We were out, it was summertime, so we went up to the mountains to go get out of the heat. We were up there mountain biking, and on the way home, about 100 miles north of Amarillo, out in the middle of nowhere, my wife's reading a Cosmo article, and basically the gist of the article was like, hey, if you want to have kids, make sure you do it by age 36, or else all these things can happen. Right. And then she, she looks up at me, and she goes, do you want kids? And I go, I don't know. Not really. Let's let my sister pick up the slack, which she did. She has three kids. So, okay. goes, yeah, yeah, me, me, me neither. So we, we decided 100 miles north of uh, Amarillo, Texas, uh, that we were going to be due to dual income, no, no kids type of a thing. And we, yes. we, and we, we, we love children, but, uh, it, you know, it's. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, you know, your friends have them, you know, being the best aunt and uncle. But I also. Yeah. You know, love that she travels with you and you have all these experiences together as well. So that's that's quite beautiful. That's I love it. Okay, so going back to Groves real quick, probably people from our school know, but I didn't, that you originally were at Roper. So it wasn't like you followed the elementary and middle school like we all had. You were at Roper, which is a specialized private school. For those that don't know, it's, it's for brainiacs. And, you know, that's something to be really... Proud of. It's very cool. Yeah, I don't know if I go that far. I mean, they let me in, but uh, <laughs> well, you no, have I to. Could, I could. You have to interview and be tested to get into Roper, correct? I don't even read. Yeah. That. Oh, yeah. You do. My, and you need my, all these my, references. My. Yeah. Oh, it, it may be like that today. I'm not. I, I I I don't recall if that was the case. I do know that. 
you know, my, my, my parents were, you know, they're no longer with us, but they were rather overbearing and fretful like most parents were. My mother, uh, she was a, uh, before, she, before she became a full-time mom, she was she was a school teacher in New York City, and uh, she graduated with uh, with straight A's and everything. So everything had to be perfect. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah, yeah, we're gonna send, we're gonna send Bobby to Roper. But the funny thing is, is that you know, so I kind of had a you know, uh, by the time I got back to Gross High School, I didn't have that middle middle school experience with everybody. So it was almost like I was moving to a new city. Like who are I these know. people? Yeah, I mean, that had to have been an adjustment to be in a. Kind of, I've, I've interviewed some people that were in like parochial school or Catholic school, and it's it's just public schools is a kind of feral environment if you've been in a, a a different school system. So I, you know, I mean, you adapted, and that's great. Feral environment, I <laughs> you you just nailed that right on the head. I couldn't think of a, a better description of my public school experience of being uh, or my high school experience. Of being, yes, that was definitely a feral environment. Yeah. But hey, kids are going to be kids. So, uh, did you have yeah. any teachers that you have stories on at all? Yeah. All right. Here's what sticks out. Okay. There was so, um, somebody much smarter than me, uh, a famous writer, and I can't recall who it was, said, Youth is wasted on the young. Was that okay. a Mark Twainism? I don't know. Somebody, somebody famous said that. Okay. Youth is wasted on the young. And uh, one of the teachers that, that, that stuck out, was remember Mr. Gilmet, the uh, history? Oh teacher. yes, 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 yes. So when I started doing all my international travel, once I got to the airlines, uh-huh. and I'm going to all these places throughout Europe and South America and, and Asia, and then everything Mr. Gilmet taught me, it all kind of it clicked. It all started to gel when you're oh, actually cool. standing. In these places that you read about, when I'm physically looking at the Magna Carta, when I'm, you know, in the Vatican, and and then I thought, wow, I, and, and because Mr. Gilmet was a great teacher, even though I may not have been the best history student, I did, I did remember a lot of what he taught me. And, and now it's all just clicking. And now that I knew this and going to these places, it just, it just made me appreciate and, and uh, made the experience that much better. And I always thought to myself, I don't, I don't know if he's still alive. Last I heard he had retired and he was working at a clothing store because, you know, he was kind of a, he was, he was oh, famous for his back that, uh, Well, he, yeah, he, he came dressed up every class. He was definitely. But if, if, if I ever get a chance to run into him or if, or if he ever gets to see this podcast and I hope he's still around, I just want I just want to give a big heartfelt thank you for everything you taught me. Because it just gave me such such a great appreciation for the world. He was very oh. passionate. I forgot about him, yeah. and I will I will look to see for sure. And at the time, you're right. You're 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 memorizing right, but he was passionate mm-hmm. enough that you retained his stories. Like he had traveled, so it wasn't yeah. just he was doing the book. I still remember the history book. What it looked like it was like a tan, and anyway, but. But he did such a great, great job. You're right. And it's that's so funny to piece that together. I'll see if we can pay homage to him for sure. At least he's not, have someone in the family see this for sure. Yeah. And while I was in class, we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, European history, South American history, big deal. Right. But like I said, youth is wasted on young. Now I really appreciate it. Oh, <laughs> so. that's a great memory. 
Well, we will leave that there because that's a great way to end, I think. And um glad you came from Roper and joined us at Groves, even if it was a little bit of a strange experience for you. But I look forward to traveling with you. So let's make that happen and and stay in touch so I can find your schedule. In the meantime, enjoy Mexico and everywhere mm-hmm. else that you travel. And I appreciate it so much because I've been following you for a long time to see all the places you've gone to and really wanted to connect with you. So thank you, Bob, so much for being on Class Reunion. My pleasure. Thank you. I just got my February schedule late last night. If you want to come freeze in Paris and Amsterdam for the month of February, I can make that happen. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> that, that might be in my picture. Actually, I'm uh, scheduled to go to L.A., I have to confirm that, but there's somebody at Groves I'm going to be seeing in LA. That'll be a cool trip. So oh, maybe, right. maybe March, but yeah, I'm going to be heading out to, to LA and be with the Kardashians and see how that Ooh. is. Yes. Yes. Well, I think I, know, I think I might know where you're going then. Exactly. Because right. <laughs> <laughs> they live right next to them. All right. So, yes, exactly. uh, well, hey. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, well, uh, we'd love to do this again. I, I could bore, I could bore everybody with well, uh, the thing. flying misadventures. But, I yeah. will say, my my pre-call with Bob, it was really cool because he talked. There's just so much more to what he has to share. It's just we tried to put it in a a time period, but he's where he's traveled and the stories and oh my gosh, I mean, it's it's like you're taking Gilmet's class and extending it in real life version. So. I would love to have you back on again and talk more about you, where you've specifically gone and why you love it and and to be our tour guide. So that would be great. My pleasure. Maybe we could do a podcast from overseas one of these days. Oh, I would love it. Stamp my passport, though. Make me seem like I'm in the, in the country. I'm going to have that with me. <laughs> Go enjoy some margaritas with your wife at the pool. And I thank you so much for your time. And you have a great rest of the week. All right. You too. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. All right, friends, that's it for this episode of Class Reunion Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show, write us a review, and share this podcast with a friend. Until next time.